You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Today we're continuing in our theme of revival. And now we've been talking, I know I say this, I want to make, catch everybody up to speed. We've been talking about revival since January, and in my mind, uh, revival was a three-part, three-week uh, series, but God had other, uh, other things in mind. And so as we've continued to continue to pray more about this, as I've said over the past several weeks, God has shown me um, into just, just what's happening in our, our city, in our region, in the Bible Belt is what some people call it. Um, in this area, one of the things that I feel like God's showing me is that there has been this spirit of complacency that's kind of come into this area, that's kind of set up shop in this area, and it's kind of lulled a lot of believers to sleep, and it's kind of um, made it to where we are passively going through our life when God says, no, I don't need you going passively through this life. I need you actively going after the kingdom of God and sharing the kingdom of God with people around you. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the war of revival, how revival doesn't come passively. Revival comes with some action. And here's what I'm going to, it's not necessarily talking about uh, spiritual warfare today, but I want to talk about it from a little bit of a different angle because we're going to look at um, a story in the Old Testament, it's found in 2 Samuel. We're going to look at a story from another king of Israel, King David, who last week we talked about a king of Israel. We're going to talk about another king of Israel who was lulled to sleep by the spirit of complacency. And because that happened, um, he got into a, a big old mess, okay? We're going to talk about the story of, uh, of David, uh, David and Bathsheba today. Come on, somebody, right? This is going to be a good. If you know the story, uh, you know, buckle up. Here we go. So let's go. Second Samuel 11. Let me read the highlights of the story, and then we'll dive into how it applies to us. We're going to start in verse 1 here. It says this, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and, uh, and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged the Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Verse 2, One evening David got up uh, from his bed, and he walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Both of those guys, the daughter and, and his uh, or her husband, uh, were some of David's mighty men. So this, these are guys that David would have known, which makes this even more personal. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and she, uh, then he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So here we see David, he hits the panic button, right? I've done something wrong. He knows he's done something wrong. And so he hits the panic button. He, now he's going to try to do the old cover-up. <laughs> How do I get rid of this mess? How do I hide my sin? And let's pick up in verse 14. It says this, in the morning David wrote a letter to Joab, and he sent it with Uriah. So he sends Uriah, which is Bathsheba's husband, out into the battlefield. In it he wrote, Put Uriah out in the front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. David's just, he's, he's in a big old mess, right? I mean, uh, adultery, one thing, but now we're going to kill this guy to try to cover up what's been going on. Let's skip down to verse 26. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and she bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. How does this apply to us, right? 
Let's talk about it. Here's what God showed me as I was reading this. The first thing that God showed me, this is in your notes, is that it's springtime in the spirit. It's springtime in the spirit. We may look outside and you see all the, you know, the, the red buds and all the flowers and all the, the things are starting to bloom outside. And yeah, it's springtime in the natural. But God is showing me that it is springtime in the spirit. So here's what that means for us. Let's look back at verse 1. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war. At the time when kings go off to war, where was David? He remained in Jerusalem. David was somewhere he was not supposed to be, which was the open door for all kinds of stuff that went, that went bad in his life, right? But here's what happened. So they go out, and, and in this part of the world, they, would go, they went to war in the spring, number one, because it was warmer. Uh, the chariots could run on solid ground and not get stuck in the mud. Um, and then as well, it was harvest season, in the spring for them. So invading, the invading army could live off the fruits of their enemy's labor. Just another slap in the face. We're going to invade your land and we're going to eat your crops. And so we can sustain ourselves on the attack. And so it's actually pretty genius. But here's what happens. There's a danger spiritually. There's a danger when you don't know what season it is. When you are unaware of what season it is in the spiritual. And that's how most Christians live their life. They go to work, they go to church, they go home. They go to work, they go to church, they go home. And they think, well, my church attendance, I'm going to heaven, right? I got my passport to heaven, I'm good. And all these other sinners are going to hell, right? So that's too bad for them, but I'm going to heaven. But they don't realize what is happening in the spiritual realm around them. One pastor said it this way, it's dangerous to live on a battlefield, but it's even more dangerous to live on a battlefield and not know there's a war going on. And that's where most Christians live. It's dangerous to live on a battlefield, but it's more dangerous to live on a battlefield than not even know that there's a war raging around you because you are eventually going to get caught in the middle of it. And here's the thing. God has shown me it's springtime in the spirit, and it's time for kings and priests to go to war for revival. Can I tell you who that is? That's us. You may say, well, I'm not a king. I don't rule over anything. Let me show you a scripture. In, in Revelation 1, it says this, to him who loved us, washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests. Why? For the glory of God. Can I tell you something? Put a little confidence in you today. Not pride, but confidence in you today. You are royalty. If you re- receive Jesus, you follow him. He's the Lord of your life. You are royalty in the family of God. You are royalty in the kingdom of God. And guess what? Because of that, if we're royalty, that means that we have no business sitting at home doing nothing. Because it's springtime. Where should, where should the kings be? At war. But too many believers don't know. They don't know that they're royalty. So they've put a, they think it's okay to stay at home in my comfy clothes and not do anything and not take ground for the kingdom, and not pray to see God change our city, or change our region, or change our nation. They think, my little prayers can't do anything. When really they should be operating in their role as a king, as a priest, what? Leading the charge in the spring. It's springtime in the spirit. And it's our job to go to war. I'm not, look, I'm not against, I love technology, okay? And and eventually, I know we'll probably be doing live streaming and stuff like this, but I think live streaming church in America specifically, it has opened the door for complacency like never before. Anybody in here, you got little kids and try to do church online? It ain't happening, okay? I'm gonna tell you that right now. It ain't happening, okay? We can tell ourselves it happened, but it ain't happening, all right? So, we have one kid, and I already know, I, I, got, I heard 25% of what, what the pastor said that day, all right? I'm not bashing that, okay? I know there's times for that. We're in you know, the hospital, or we had uh, something's going on, we're on vacation, whatever it might be. There's times for, for it, right? I'm, eventually, I know we'll probably have it, but it can never replace 
the assembling together of believers. And I know, I, and it can't. It can't. Why? It's springtime. <laughs> and many times when we start isolating ourselves through, through online stuff or, or staying in our comfy clothes or staying at home, again, there's a time for it. But when we start doing that all the time, we've slipped into complacency and God can't use us to further the kingdom. I'm not serving anyone. I'm not plugged into anyone. I'm not accountable to anyone. I'm at home by myself. You need to be accountable to somebody. You need to have someone in your life that can tell you no spiritually on spiritual matters. That's myself included. If you don't have someone in your life that can look you in the eyes and say, you're wrong, according to God's word, you're wrong, then you need to find that person. Everyone needs that person, myself included, because if not, we will drift and we will do whatever we want and not stay true to what God wants. Iron sharpens what? Iron. I got to find somebody that's going to point me or multiple people in the right direction. Look at, look at 2 Corinthians, what Paul writes here in verse 3. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts. We teach them to obey Christ. What kind of verbiage is this? It's wartime verbiage. It's time to go to war. Meaning what? I'm not, I'm not passively watching culture disciple my kids for me. Because if you're, if you're not aware, if, if your kids don't have some type of filters on their devices, uh, if you're not aware of what they're watching on YouTube, on whatever, it may seem harmless, but you better be aware of what culture will try to do to your kids. Because if you don't think there's an agenda in culture, then you're wrong. There is an agenda. And a lot of humans that are being used to push that agenda, they don't, they don't even know that they're being used by a spiritual darkness, spiritual enemy to push that agenda, but it's happening. So we better be aware that we're on a battlefield. It's dangerous to live on a battlefield. It's even worse to live on a battlefield and not know that there is a war raging around me, my spouse, my kids, my family. I need to know and I need to be aware. And guess what? I need to go to war, not be sitting at home in my PJs and my slippies watching TV. Amen? I got to go to war. Second thing we see is this. Complacency is an open door to sin. Complacency is an open door to sin. I think sometimes we think David's problem started when he slept with Bathsheba, but that's not the case. David's problem didn't start with sleeping with Bathsheba. It started with him becoming complacent with his assignment from God. So hear me in this. When you aren't active in doing what God's created you to do, you get bored and you start looking for outlets to entertain your flesh. Let me say that again. When you aren't active in doing what God's created you to do, you will get bored and you start looking for outlets to entertain your flesh. That's the truth. That's what David did. He was, he was anointed by God to do something. What was he doing it? No. And because he wasn't, complacency set in. I'm fine. I got, I got mighty men, David's mighty men, who are handling the battle. They had a few victories. But if David would have been with them, they would have had total victory. They had a few victories, but they didn't have total victory. The works of the flesh are dangerous. In fact, Galatians 5.16 says this, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. You won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. If you've, done, uh, <laughs> if you've lived in a, a season of life where you were far from God and you've, you've lived a sinful life, you know that sin can be fun for a season. I'm sure David had a moments, moments of 
fun before all this disaster happened, right? Sin's fun for a season, but can I tell you this? The thing your flesh desires, it might make you happy, but if it doesn't make you holy, it will only leave you broken. It might make you happy, but if what you're doing, consuming, looking at, chasing after, if it doesn't make you holy, it will only leave you broken. So the question is this, let's make it super personal. What are you bringing to bed? I don't want to get graphic or anything or be weird, but what are you inviting to have intimacy in your life that does not align with God's call for your life? It doesn't have to be that you're cheating on your spouse. (laughs) It can be a lot of things, but what is it for you? What is it for you? What are you inviting to bed? You may say, well, I'm not, I'm not, you know. I'm not like David, right? I didn't kill nobody. I didn't, you know, cheat on my spouse or anything. Well, let's just continue in Galatians 5, starting in verse 19, or or pick up in verse 19. It says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And so here's a great list for us. Here's a a good list for us. The the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. I always like to clarify, what does that mean? Any sexual activity outside of biblical marriage, which is what? One man, born a man, one woman, born a woman, together in covenant relationship and holy matrimony, that is biblical marriage. Any sex outside of that is sexual immorality. It's sin. Let's move on. Impurity, debauchery, idolatry. Idolatry is just as rampant now than it ever has been. Okay? We don't have, you may not have a golden calf set up in your, your back room that you worship at night, but you might have a TV that you're clinging to for hours and hours and hours while you and your spouse are drifting farther apart in your marriage. You might have a, a phone that you're addicted to that you can't put your phone down for a, a day if you can't turn your phone off because you're so stressed out about what might happen. We have, we have idols. They just look a little bit different. They may not be coated in gold, but they're just as attractive and consuming, and we worship them just in a slightly different way, in a slightly sneakier way. Let's continue on here. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Well, I'm not cheating on my spouse, but I'll scream and yell at him and cuss at him, and I'll punch a hole in the wall or I'll throw things. Whoops. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness. Well, I just get drunk every once in a while. I just get a little tipsy every once in a while. What's the big deal? It's sin, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. If it doesn't step on your toes a little bit, make you a little uncomfortable, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) It should. It should. Those who live like this Now, let me clarify. He says those who live like this, there's a difference between what you struggle with and what you embrace and celebrate. Let me set you free today. There's there's a difference between what you struggle with and what you embrace and what you celebrate. We get in trouble when we begin to embrace the acts of the flesh as normal and regular parts of who we are. Well, my, my dad was, you know, he was a drunk, so I battle with that, and so I justify my drunkenness and my, my, my anger problem because it was, just kind of runs in my family. When I start to accept it and make it a normal part of my life as an excuse to my sin, rather than addressing it, bringing it to my Savior and trying to find freedom and accountability, there's issues there. We got to make sure that we're not embracing this as normal. Does that mean I don't struggle with it? 
from time to time? Does that mean I don't stumble from time to time and I mess up? No, you're going to stumble. No, you're going to mess up. Let me, let me put you at ease. It doesn't mean, oh, I messed up. I'm a horrible Christian. No, don't leave. That's, that's a lie from the enemy. You're going to mess up. But when you mess up, you better run to your heavenly father, not hide it, sweep it under the rug, and run from him as David did. You can struggle with it, but don't celebrate it and don't embrace it. And don't use it as an excuse to keep living the life that God never intended for you to live. Here's, what, here's the reality of it. We were once, and I heard people say this all the time, well, I'm a sinner saved by grace, brother. You know what I mean? I'm just a sinner. And I, I try to talk about this quite a bit, but the truth is this. We were once sinners saved by grace. Once. We were sinners is what Scripture says. You were sinners, but we aren't meant to stay there. We're not meant to stay as identifying as a sinner who is far from God. You're not supposed to stay there. In fact, I would say this. We were, you were once a sinner saved by grace, right? I'm no longer a sinner saved by grace. I am a saint that's been saved for a purpose now. I have to change my identity. I'm not who I was. I'm not my past sin. I'm not this, this thing that I'm, that's weighing me down, keeping me from the calling of God. No, God says that whenever we put our faith in Christ, what? All things are made new. Old things pass away. He wants to supernaturally come into your life through the power of the Holy Spirit and cut ties with the things that have been pulling you back, with the things that have been running for generation after generation in your family. He wants to come in and the Holy Spirit wants to say, let me cut ties with that and now let me put you in a new bloodline. All things have become new. It may take some accountability. It may take you changing your ways a little bit. It may take some uncomfortable conversation. But if you're willing to do the work, his power will back up your obedience and you can walk in freedom. I'm no longer a sinner saved by grace. I'm a saint that's been saved for a purpose. God's grace is not an invitation or it's not a, it's not a pass to continue sinning. Those, many people treat it that way. I'll do whatever I want. God's grace, brother, it'll, hey, it'll cover all. God's grace is... is amazing, it's bigger, and it's greater than we could ever imagine. I believe that. But God's grace is actually, it's an invitation to live righteously. Let me prove it to you. Grace doesn't lower the bar so you can reach it. That's what we hoped it would. We hoped it would, grace, grace lowers it so that way if I continue to sin down here, I can still reach the bar. Now, God's grace actually raises the bar, and then it gives you the power to reach it. David committed adultery in the act, in the physical then Jesus says, with his grace, if you, even if you look at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. Which is harder <laughs> to not do, right? Did grace lower the bar and make it easier? No, grace raised the bar. But then what did he say? I'll give you now my Holy Spirit, who is the helper, the comforter. He's going to show you how. He's going to give you the want to, to live it out. And now you can reach the bar. Now you can walk in complete freedom. So here's the thing, we gotta, we got to change our thinking just a little bit and think, is it something I'm struggling with or have I embraced it as my identity? That's the difference. Because let me tell you, if you're struggling, you need to stay in church. <laughs> Don't run from church. If you're struggling with sin, if you're sinning, if you were sinning this morning, stay in church. If you're fighting with your spouse, stay in church. If you're struggling with porn, stay in church. If you're struggling with addiction, stay in church. Why? You can put the quote up here, put it on the screen. It's, the only, it's only the house of God that empowers the people of God with the spirit of God to do the mission and the work of God. How do I find freedom? You need to go to the house of God. Why? Because our job as the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's discipleship. It's our job to show you the truth and to give you practical steps to walk it out so you can live the life God's called you to live. 
So you don't live in defeat the rest of your life. So you don't walk around in condemnation thinking, I've sinned, I've messed up, I'm an awful Christian. Don't, that's not the message today. The message today is hope. You may be struggling with something right now. Can I say something? If you're struggling with it, good, that means you're in a fight. That means you haven't lost yet. Are you battling? Come on. You still have, you still have hope and you still have life. If you're in the other ditch and you say, oh, I've accepted it, man. That's, I've, I've, I've used that phrase for years. It's just, I thought it was just, I didn't know I could have freedom from it. Guess what? I told you today, you can have freedom today. You can have freedom today. It's the house of God that empowers the people of God with the spirit of God to do the mission and the work of God. And I've said it for several weeks in a row, but the local church is the hope of the world. And the moment we start to think that church is not important, being in community is not important, is the moment that we remove ourselves from the opportunity and the privilege to help lead revival in our city. Let that not be said of us. Unaddressed sin doesn't fix itself or magically disappear. It was the (laughs) cover-up attempt that caused greater issues for David, wasn't it? We think, I'm, I'm stuck in this, I don't know how, I'm just going to not address it and it'll just disappear. <laughs> That's not how it works. What did, what did God say? 1 John 1, 9 says this, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what do I do? I messed up. That's okay. You're going to mess up. Don't hide it. Don't embrace it. Don't celebrate it. Run to your loving Heavenly Father, and if you will confess, what happens? Freedom. Freedom. Cleansing. Renewing. Restored in my soul. Man, I've been battling this in darkness forever. You need to find someone that you can share it with, a peer, a friend, accountability partner you can share it with, that person that can tell you no spiritually. Share it, confess it to God, and then walk in community with another believer. Whatever it is you're battling, you've got to find someone to walk with. It's what scripture says. To the person that falls by themselves, they will have no one to help them get up. But if, if someone else falls when they're with someone, they have someone to help them up. They have someone to help them up. Last week we talked about how one act of obedience can change a family tree and have a generational impact. But can I warn you, the opposite is also true. Well, it's just my life. No, your actions are never just about you. My sin is never just about me. My sin has a ripple effect that goes on for generations. That's why it's so serious that it must be dealt with today. I can't wait till tomorrow. I can't wait until it starts to show up in my kids and then I better try to fix myself and so I can fix them. It's too late. I need to address it today. It doesn't mean God can't work in that situation. I'm just saying today's the day of salvation. That means today's the day of freedom. Today's the day of righteousness. Today's the day of revival. This is what happened in David. After this story, two chapters later, David's son, Amnon, he rapes his half-sister. Then David's other son, Absalom, becomes furious that David won't punish the son that raped the half-sister. So David murders that, or no, Absalom murders him, and then he leads a rebellion against David, and civil war breaks out. Where did this mess start? Complacency. David was not on the battlefield where he should have been. And he thought, "My, my soldiers are winning, We're seeing victory. It's okay for me to stay at home. And it was not okay for him to stay at home. It had a generational impact. Blessing comes from obedience. But our culture wants all the blessings 
without purity and without submission to God's word. And it didn't work that way. I forfeit the right to claim God's blessing and his, his kingdom come, his will be done on, my, on earth as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven, when I'm knowingly, willingly living in sin and doing nothing about it. Now, if I'm living in sin and I don't know, there's grace for that. But once I know, God says, you know what to do. Time to get it right. It's time to get it right. The third thing is this. So how do we do this? How, how, do, we, how do we walk in it? The third point is this, prepare for war. I'm not talking about physical war, right? Hopefully you know that by now. <laughs> Prepare for spiritual war. Walking in purity is the first step to being used by God to do great things for the kingdom. Walking in purity is the first step to being used by God to do great things for the kingdom. We see this theme over and over and over in God's word. In fact, we look at the story of Joshua when he's leading the children of Israel into the promised land, the land that God has promised them. And as they go in, what does Joshua say? Joshua 3, 5. Joshua told the people, purify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do great wonders among you. What's step one? Sanctify yourself. Purify yourself. Get it right. Get clean. Why? So God can use you. Some, of, some people have been believing God use me, praying God use me, open a door for me, but they haven't been walking in purity. Today's your day. Today you can get it right. You can ask for forgiveness. You can be cleansed. And guess what? God can use you to do mighty things tomorrow. But it starts today. Purity. Look at what David wrote in Psalm 119. David gives us the answers to what he should have done whenever he was complacent and dealing with all of this stuff. Before he even, you know, to, to, to get out of the situation of falling into that trap with Bathsheba, he says this, Psalm 119, then he answers it, I love this. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? And then he gives us the answer, here it is. By living in according to your word. He's talking to God now, your word, God. I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. Verse 13, with my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Here's David's path to purity. And is it some self-help book or some great author? No, it's, it's the only book, it's the only thing that is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the only book that will truly change your life. You can get some band-aids from self-help books that man has written, but you cannot, you cannot find healing from spiritual cancer outside of this book right here. This is the cure for whatever thing that's been holding you back. It's only found in here. And so what does David say? He gives those five things. I think I have them in your notes. I obey your word. I hide your word in my heart. I speak it every day. If you're not speaking verses, scripture, over your life, over your spouse, over your kids, you need to be find a verse to speak every single day. I rejoice in it as someone does in great riches. How do you feel when you got a lot of money in the bank account and the bills are paid? You feel good? That's how he says, I got this. It should make me feel that. 
I rejoice in it as someone does with great riches. I find it, man. I rejoice in it. I meditate on it. Meaning what? I'm going to read God's word early in the morning. I'm going to write down a verse that stuck out to me on a sticky note. I'm going to put it in my car. I'm going to put it in my lunchbox. So on the job site, I can open that up and I can see it. I'm going to be reminded of it later on in the day. I'm going to meditate, think, pray. At lunch, I'm going to ask God, show me more about that verse. In the evening, I'm going to say, God, show me more about that verse. I'm going to meditate on God's word. The truth is you can build your life on God's unchanging word or you can, or you can build your life on the world's ever-changing word. Hopefully the last two years have shown you that. Watch the news. Six months ago, we were supposed to do this, this, and this, and you'd be good. Fast forward, two weeks later, well, actually, we were wrong, <laughs> and you're supposed to do this, this, and this. The world's always changing. Their word's always changing. Talk to any mom from any different generation, right? Moms from an older generation, well, hey, you're supposed to do this, this, and this with your baby. You're supposed to sleep this way, use baby powder. You're supposed to do all this stuff, right? If, if, <laughs> if they were still doing that, they'd be put in jail today, right? Because the next generation of moms, they get a whole new set of things. Well, you should do this, this, and this. And then the next generation, well, actually, we were wrong there and there. You're supposed to do this. Actually, we were right back there. It's always changing. Don't put your faith in the world or in people. Your hope must be in God's word and God's word alone, which is what? It's Jesus, it's Jesus. It's never changing. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's the same moving forward. I don't know about you, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. I'm not putting my faith in people, government, leaders. No, no, no. I'll pray for them. I'll believe the best for them. I'll believe for revival for them, but that's not where my faith is. I can't afford to have my faith anywhere else. So here's what I'm telling you today as I wrap up. It's springtime in the Bible Belt. That means what? It's wartime. God is on the move for revival. He's longing for revival in the Bible Belt. And so many times people look at the Bible Belt and we say, oh, we got all these churches, a church on every corner, right? Do we really need more churches? Can I tell you this? There's a lot of churches, but there's a lot of churches that aren't experiencing revival because of God's spirit. That's what he's after. He's wanting churches that are spirit-driven who are after him and not just to build a bigger organization. They're after him, and that's what we have to be after. It's springtime in the Bible Belt, meaning this. It's time to spiritually go to war, but beware. The spirit of complacency will beg you, plead with you to stay home and to go to bed with the lust of your flesh. So we better deal with that first. When that spirit of complacency comes to me, tries to lull me to sleep, tries to hold me back, no, I'm out. I'm going to war where I should be. I will not get complacent in the call that God's given me for my life. What has God called you to do? When you become complacent with that is the open door for sin. And can I just say this? Prophetically, I speak right now over our church. I prophetically speak to us as a by church, just as Joshua did to the children of Israel, sanctify yourselves. Meaning what? Purify yourselves, if we will, purify yourselves abide church for tomorrow and even today God will do many wonders and miracles among us come on somebody just as Joshua declared it, I declared it over us it's time we want to see God do something great we want to see this place overflowing people coming to God we want to see miracles taking place where does it start revival in me making sure God I'm walking in agreement to your word Let's get ready to fight. Let's get ready to stand. Let's get ready to take some ground for the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. God's going to do amazing wonders and works among you. I put some reflection questions on your card today. You can take those home. Make it personal. Talk to your spouse about it. Take it home. Reflect on those. 
and put this into action into your life personally. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you love us, Lord. We thank you that your grace is not a past to continue sinning. Lord, we embrace it as an invitation to live righteously. We thank you that it raised the bar, but Lord, we're up for the challenge because we have the power of your Holy Spirit working in us to do what you long and want us to do, Heavenly Father. I pray that right now, in the name of Jesus, that your spirit would go to work in our lives, Lord. Starting today, give us boldness, give us confidence, give us the the opportunity to get things right. If we've been hiding sin, if we've been uh, running from, from people that it would make us better, Lord, I pray that you would open those doors for us to share what we need to share, get it right, sanctify, purify ourselves so that you can do amazing things among us moving forward. Lord, we declare it, we receive it, we expect it in Jesus' name. Would you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed today? Today, if you're in here and you'd say, Pastor Dan, I'm not right with God. I've been dealing with sin in my life. I'm not following God. I haven't followed God. I don't know God at all, but today I want to get things right so I can experience his love and his grace Today, if that's you, I want to pray for you, but also I want to pray for you if you're in here and at one time you were following God, you were chasing after him, but you've drifted. You've let complacency get in the way and now you haven't been following him. You've been embracing your sin, but today you're ready to make it right. Today, if that's you, either one of those, you've never followed Jesus or you did in the past, but you've been drifting, but you want to make it right today. Would you just raise your hand so I can pray with you? Anybody at all say, hey, that's me, Pastor Dan. That's me. I need to get things right today. I need to make things right today. All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say a prayer. And I want everyone in here in agreement to say this prayer after me. It's a way of just solidifying our commitment to Christ. It's what we call the believer's prayer. Would you say this prayer after me? Everyone in here, say this out loud. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to come to this earth, to die on a cross for me. But I believe that you raised him from the dead. Right now, Jesus I ask you into my heart, come into my life, forgive me of my sin, make me clean, you're the Lord of my life, I am saved. Holy Spirit, help me walk in purity, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.